0: Thanks. Listening to Skip Intro. I'm Lee Chui Lin, um, and we are continuing Malaysian Film Week here on Skip Intro, leading up to September 16th, of course. Uh, And today, Ian and Bahi are going to be sitting down with Gavin Yap, co-writer and co-director of Dendam Pontianak, which will be opening in Malaysian cinemas tomorrow, September 12th. Uh, So the interview is coming your way, and then after that, we'll be going to our review of the film.
1: Hanya musuh orang selamanya. Wahai orang-orang kampung, bersihkan rumah
2: masing-masing. Banyakkan berdoa. Gelap sudah singgah di kampung ini.
3: We are joined by Malaysian writer, actor, voice actor, director, and podcaster, Gavin Yap, to talk about his new film, Dendam Pontianak which opens in Malaysian cinemas this Thursday. Welcome to the show, Gavin.
1: Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. That's <laughs> quite a, a list of uh, you know, additions after yeah, descriptions, yeah. isn't When,
2: it? when you yeah. hear it said out loud like that, it's, uh, it's just, like, who is, a, who is
1: this
3: guy? It's impressive. <laughs> like yesterday's show, we have to do full disclosure as well. We are aware of Gavin. We are aware of his movements. We have um, we have a history. We have a history together. We're so, friends. Yeah. I suppose you could put it, you sure, could put you, it that well, way. Well, I guess I mean, you could I, it I, that. I don't know
2: about Bahir. Yeah. Right. Like, true. I've always thought that Bahir secretly kind of hates me. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not that much of a We'll
3: secret. find out today. <laughs> <laughs> um, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit, uh, just the setup for Dendan Pontianak?
2: Sure. Uh, so, yes, Dendan Pontianak, it uh, takes place in 1965 in this, uh, in this kampong. And uh, Khalid and Siti are getting married, and uh, on the uh, night of their wedding, a, a Pontianak returns, and uh, there's a, a series of sort of hauntings within the kampong, and we, and, uh, we later discover why this Pontianak has returned. But mm. it's, yeah, that's, in a nutshell, that's about it, I'd say.
3: And um, you've co-directed this with Glenn Goy. So you have previously done, like, you're in Kale 24 Zombies, which was like a collaborative effort. But you mm-hmm. directed your segments individually, right? Yes, yes. And you did um, Tame, Take Me to Dinner, Dinner. which mm-hmm. you directed on your own. Mm-hmm. Why was this movie the next one to do? And how was the process of working with Glenn? Um,
2: the process of working with Glenn was great. Uh, <laughs> I mean, basically how it sort of came about is um, he was actually looking to develop another film a, a film called Yellow Flowers and I was um crashing at his place at the time this was like way back in 2014 I was doing a play in Singapore and was crashing at his and I it, you know just as a fan because I am a fan of Glenn's I, I really like um, his last two films I'm a huge fan of Blue Mansion and I was just sort of asking it's like when are you gonna make another film yeah. and he was he was telling me about this film Yellow Flowers and that uh, he couldn't find a writer he couldn't find um, I mean, he had worked with a couple of writers who had given him a couple of treatments and he wasn't happy with it. So he talked. He told me about it um, and I said, well, let me take a crack at it. And I wrote a treatment for Yellow Flowers that he was really happy with. And we started talking about that project. Uh, that project obviously didn't happen. Uh, that kind of <laughs> fell apart. Um, and we were just sort of, um, you know, sitting down, licking our wounds and, you know, just complaining about things in general. And we started talking about horror films. And he started talking about the old black and white Pontianak films from the 50s and the 60s, and how those were the last films that he remembers scaring him, Mm. uh, that modern horror doesn't really scare him. And so uh, I think I said something along the lines of like, you know what we should do? (laughs) We should make that movie now.
3: We should do one of those.
2: Yeah, we should make like an homage. We should make like an old school Pontianak film, like the kind that you're talking about. And it just sort of started from there. I went off, wrote a treatment, uh, you know, and uh, just started reading up a little bit on the Pontianic folklore, wrote a treatment, gave it to him. He really liked it, and it just started from there. So it's not to say like, oh, how did I know this was the next one? It just turned out to be the next yeah, one, yeah. yeah. Uh, which is kind of how it happens sometimes. Sometimes the the one you think is going to be the next one isn't. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was like a five year five year journey uh, from first conversation to release.
1: Was there okay? So was there any serious consideration? Oh, maybe even just a joking consideration about shooting it in black and white.
2: No, no, it's no, all already- no, no, no. <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was that no was George Miller cut. No, that was that was never on our minds. In fact, it was the complete opposite. We were like, we should make make it like that now. But you know what? We go full on Technicolor. Yeah, with it. right. You know, yeah. so so the colors really really pop and. You know uh one of our references that was, was that you know we we said we we want to do in the mood for love in the jungle mm.
1: huh. okay um, I see that yeah,
2: so that was kind of our sort of template for it. there is a little bit of David Lynch in there, but not too much um uh, just not 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 so much in terms of uh, narrative but in terms of imagery mm-hmm. uh, like like the first time you see Sue did you know with his eyes yeah like uh, that was that was kind of like my little David Lynch thing oh. um uh, but just uh to return to your question about how what was it like to work with him how do we sort of split things up well we had a say over everything um, but I would work more with uh, John, John King the DP mm-hmm. and with the actors and uh, Glenn would uh, focus more on art direction and costumes right uh, but having said that we ran everything by each other yeah so, you know, like even when he was sort of uh, working on the costumes, working on the art direction, he would always like show me, okay, like this is, you know, what do, what do you think of this? And and same thing like when I I would uh, after I was done talking to John and after I was done directing the actors, I would always ask him, Are you have you know anything you want to add? Do you want mm-hmm. another take?" So, so it's like we had our respective things that we focused on, but we it was never not collaborative.
1: It, it, yeah, yeah, it was always still fully collaborative yes, within everybody. Yes. I mean, you've worked with with Malaysian crews and and I'm sure you've worked with Singaporean crews as well. Mm-hmm. Was there a difference here? Because a lot of the actors are Malaysian actors, right? Was there a a difference in production? Was there a difference in how the styles were between between us and the neighbors?
2: Um yeah, we shot in Kuala Kolakansa, Trono in Perak. And Ululangan. Oh. Uh, majority like ninety percent of the film, like eighty-five percent of the film, was shot in Ululangan. Um, no, not not really. There's not much of a difference. I find that when 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 the cast and crew care, yeah, uh, it it you, it tends to it tends to be an overall good experience, right? You know, and I've experienced both in both places, right? Uh, so no, I don't think there's a that much of a difference. I mean, we were very fortunate that uh, everyone involved in this. Cared. Mm. Uh, they 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 believed in the project. They believed in what Glenn and I were trying to do. And I mean, sure, there were there were tough days, but at the end at the end of the day, everyone was. Everyone was uh, on the same page in right. terms of just wanting to make the best
1: film we could make. Yeah, what was the journey of getting it to the screen? Did you guys already have the distributors in place? Because at the end of the, at the end of the f- at the film, there's there's quite a few sort of producers and funders. Yeah,
3: this and, is yeah. this is always we're always wondering like, how how do movies get made? Yeah, <laughs>
1: like what was that journey like? Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, we we did get money from 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 Singapore with the uh, the NDA grant mm-hmm. and. We did get some money from from Hong Kong as well. Oh. Uh, So that's why... You know when you see those logos out yeah. there, that's why some of that. I mean, every year, like, uh, th- you know, there's a different project that gets like a pro- yep. you know a prize money. Yeah. and so I think for our for us, it was 2015
3: right. th- that we got that. And that was like a developmental prize, was it? Yeah, because mm, we had Camille uh, Hoffman talking about yes. grants going out here class, yep. less less for development, more for production. Mm. Whereas development mm. is something he would like to have been mm. doing. Mm. Yeah,
2: but it uh, it was a long process to uh, put the money together um, because we knew that. We needed a certain amount of money yeah. to make the film that we wanted to make. Yeah. Uh and so that's why it, it took a while. We were hoping to we were hoping to shoot the film earlier. Uh because we started meeting with actors like we met with Fazura and Remy, um, like two years before we actually started wow. shooting. Okay. Um so and you know, Namron as well. I think you know, Hisham was a little bit later, so was Shanti. I think Shanti was one of the last people to be cast. Uh but, you know, it's there's there's pros and cons to it, you know, because uh, because of the delays and because it took a little bit of time to sort of put all of the funding together, um, it gave Glenn and Glenn and I an opportunity to keep going back to the script, uh, where we could continue to work on it and see like what yeah. doesn't work. We you know what do we want to change. Mm. Um, you know, because um, it's funny, I was thinking about the first draft not too long ago, and just like kind of like being very amused at how different it actually <laughs> is. The story is the same. Yeah, right. like this, the the structure of the story has never changed, but. Um, you know thinking about some of the things that were in the first draft because the first draft you just throw everything in there yeah, um, and, and, sink. yeah and just uh, seeing where it ended up it's interesting it's a re- <laughs> really interesting process I'm very happy with where it is <laughs> huh.
3: you mentioned Namran uh, so at this point he seems to be in every Malaysian movie so do you actually have to seek him out or he's just turn up
2: uh, no, we seeked him out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when it came to casting that role, the, the, the role of uh, Stuart Lin, there were a couple of people that we had in mind, but number One was always like top mm. top yeah. choice. And, yeah, he's we, a very busy guy. He's a very busy guy. So is Remy these yeah. days. I mean, yeah. Remy, Remy Ishak seems to be in everything.
3: Well, when you cast him, did you know he would like, looking at his IMDb and movies we've reviewed here, his previous roles have been kind of, uh, so he's like, I don't want to give spoilers, but conflicted. Like in in Khalila and Pulang, he's like... Dashing leading man, but also something else is going on.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, actually, we didn't. Uh, <laughs> you didn't know that at all. We weren't too aware of that. <laughs> yeah. um, we we really liked Remy's look, mm. um, and when we met him, we just found him to be incredibly charming, which is what we wanted uh, Khalid to be. Uh, but at the same time, you can kind of see like there's there's a darkness there, yeah. and and we needed uh, Khalid to have that. Same thing with Fazura is like Fazura just like really had that balance of. You know, she looked like she could do femme fatale, but at the same time, she also looked like she could do girl next door, like a, a little bit, of, a little bit of an innocence, yeah, yeah. which which Mina needs to have. And uh, and and Shanti just had these, you know, these amazing eyes, and just uh, like vi- visually, because this was this was my first time ever writing anything uh, where I didn't have an actor in mind, yeah, where I was just writing oh, character. Interesting. Okay. Um, the only character that I wrote for a specific actor was uh, Reyes. Tony, Tony Youssef. Yeah, 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 right. Um, yeah, he just
3: turned up in his P Ramley gear.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, aside from that, it was my f- unique experience, my first time ever, just like not having anyone in mind yeah. and just sort of seeing seeing characters in in my in my head. And I ha- I have to say, like, with the cast that we that we ended up with is pretty amazingly close <laughs> to how I kind of yeah. saw how I kind of imagined these people my, these characters might look like.
1: Yeah did you Did you go back? Did you have to fight the urge to go back and and change scripts as they as the actors came in, as you cast these roles, did you just go, Oh, maybe then I can tweak them to fit more or fit less? No. No? It no. was done. It, it was, was done. It was nice. done. yeah. Interesting. Um you said you shot in primarily two locations, uh, Trono and in Langat. And yeah. Ululanga, right? We
2: had one we had one day in Kuala Kangsa. Right. Yeah.
1: What was the decisions with that? Was it uh, because there there are no studio shots, right? No, they're all ex- they're it's, all, it's all location locations, right? Yeah. Did you have to build a lot of those locations, or was the choice of lo- the choice of the shooting location because they had this kampong look? Uh,
2: it was the latter because they had the kampong look. The only place that we built was uh Khalid and City's house. Mm. Oh, okay.
1: Um,
2: everything else was already there, um, oh. and it was just dressing. So, um, I mean, we we ended up going on. Th- going with those locations because they had they had the look that we were looking for right um you know Trono is where we shot all of the uh, the flashback sequence mm. okay. and we had a very we had very specific ideas about how we wanted that to look and we were just really lucky that there was this sort of like two block radius in Trono like all of the uh you know like the coffee house and yeah. and that sort of dilapidated building yeah, where, yeah, yeah. where Mina... and that's it's it's all within like, it's all within like like 20 meters of each other.
1: That's those are one of my more favorite shots of the film because you the location brings it so much identity yeah, to right. it right yeah. you're you're automatically transported to a place and a time as opposed to trying to figure out trying to build out these things yeah I think that those those shots were great yeah.
2: I mean it's just this two block this is just like this two block area that just looks trapped in time and it was crazy <laughs> I mean we dressed the we dressed the heck out of it yeah but uh, even without the set dressing it had like a very old-school look yeah and and um, you was that
1: hard? Sorry, was that hard to come and shoot all these period movies? Because I know of other films that have tried to shoot in the period, and then there's a stray car in the background, you know, and just power lines or, or power airplane. lines or yep, stuff like that. Yep. How difficult was that to just sort of, as directors and I guess as as the leaders of that of that production, to go, everybody pay attention because I cannot see an LLN sticker or a TNB sticker, rather.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of tricky yeah I mean you just need to dress it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, you just you need to dress it you need to frame it properly so like we couldn't go too wide yeah uh, you yeah, know yeah, yeah.
3: um yeah the seven eleven in next door is it
2: uh no I mean nothing nothing quite like that but um you know even you know and we we had like sort of like uh traffic control outside to yeah. make sure that when we were shooting that no sort of modern day cars were gonna drive yeah. past and because uh, you had
1: an old-timey bus as well. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So was was it hard to get the stuff? Or just so happens that town has a small bus that was... No, no. You,
3: are you location scouting for a project by <laughs> no, here? No,
1: <laughs> for me, it's just it's always interesting because we I don't think we have the kind of infrastructure that Hollywood has, right? Where mm. yeah. you want a, a time-specific car, you could just go and get it. Mm. Whereas here, it's almost very accidental whose uncle owns a car kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean, David Manjit, our art director, he was a very resourceful guy, <laughs> and um you know he had a friend who had a collection of uh, classic cars, so that's where tony's car comes from yeah. nice. and uh the bus the bus again, David knew a guy who knew right. a Right. yeah see it's uh, going to be one of those things right? but um yeah and but but the bus didn't come like that, we had to dress it dress it up, we yeah. had to dress it yeah yeah. yeah, 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 but yeah, I mean, just just sort of, just sort of coming back to uh you know what do we have to build? we built Khaled and City's house because we had. Glenn and I had very specific ideas about the kind of shots we wanted. Mm. Right. Um, and you know, in the script it's very it's very detailed about how the camera moves through the house. Mm. Yeah. No um, no,
3: kampung house has a hallway that wide.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we looked. <laughs> we, we couldn't find any kampung house that had a hallway like that. Yeah. And and, Glenn and I were like, we, we, we want this hallway. Yeah. Yeah. So so we had to build uh, that house. But it was also really good in the sense that it made setting up, it made planning the shots a lot easier. Mm. Uh, yeah. Because... Because
1: you could build two camera, right? Yeah, yeah, and
2: you know, so all of the bedrooms had collapsible walls. Nice. So it was easier just to move around Uh, you know it was easier to sort of set up the camera because sometimes you take for granted just you know just how much space a camera crew takes up yeah Uh, so when you can collapse the walls like that you can just shoot from any angle and it just makes it that much easier and we needed that we needed that time because it was such a tight schedule
3: yeah and i I believe as well it was a bit of uh you had a bit of weather problems on that schedule Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh yeah again just to give our listeners an idea of like the process of making a movie can you tell us a little bit about that
2: well, we were, sh- like I said, uh, we were predominantly shooting in Ululangat, which is near a dam. <laughs> <laughs> and we were shooting in January. <laughs> right. there's a lot of rain. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, and some, some days, you know, it's like there were some days where you really did feel like, you know, what, what, what is going on? Because it would rain on us, but we would look around at the sky and it's blue skies everywhere <laughs> except where we are. Yeah. Like, not just like the air, like but just specifically that where we're <laughs> that spot. Yeah. And yeah, and it was really just sort of like racing against time. There wasn't, we did not have the luxury of of, of just sort of like, okay, we'll, we'll just wait, you know? So there were a couple of things, there there were a couple of things where we had to like, all right, we can't shoot outside. Let's move, let's move it inside and shoot. So even though outside it's still raining, it's like, we'll fix that later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So it's, it's always sort of interesting, like, you know, in terms of your VFX, you know, I don't think people realize that, um, you know, so many VFX shots are things that, the audience probably won't notice yeah because it's just it's, it's, fixing things. it's, thing it's, right? more, it's yeah. more just cleaning stuff up and fixing stuff
3: yeah speaking of vfx then I'll settle a bet for myself and by here is it you or glenn who put the wipes in the circle wipes glenn glenn really wow oh, i okay. had my money on you yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no i mean uh because yeah i mean there's a reason for that um it uh it was like yeah i th- don't know that was glenn
3: yeah yeah because it, it ties back to the old movies is it
2: Um, actually, no, no, I I could tell you why, but it would, (laughs) I know I don't want to, I think let people think what they want, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it was a very practical reason. Interesting. It was a, it was a very, very practical reason.
1: Interesting. Okay. Cause when I saw that, the first thing that crossed my mind was like, "Mm, this is Gavin. I just felt like that was like something that was like a Gavin Yap flourish. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm disappointed now. Uh,
2: Yeah, no, I got a. I got to give, I gotta give uh, Glenn credit to that. No, that, that was all Glenn.
3: Well, the movie comes out on the 12th of September. Uh, thanks for coming in to talk to us. What's next for Gavin Yap after Dendam Um
2: Well, immediately after, uh, I'm going to be going to Australia to act in a play mm. in, in Adelaide. And I'm doing a couple of more plays in Singapore early next year. Uh, I do have uh, a couple of other film projects that I'm in the process of putting together and developing. But, you got to go um, sleep on a few more directors' couches, is it? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But um, when, when it comes to you know, as as you know, by here is like when it comes to putting a film together, you don't know when it's going to come together. So uh, there are things on the boil, and when they're further along, I'll be more than happy to talk about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do but, you have a? Do you have a first? Well, I would just say a first love because that should be your wife. But do you? Do you have something you prefer? Do you prefer performing in theater, or do you prefer because you? Tend to be on, you tend to be, you know, performer on stage, but then directing on camera. Mm. Do you prefer? Is there a preference for you?
2: Um, I mean, like if I only had to do one thing, it it would probably, I'd love to direct film, right? Mm. Interesting, yeah, cool, yeah, definitely.
0: So, you just heard uh, Ian Mbahe speaking with Gavin Yap, co writer and co director of Dundam Pontianak. Um, up next, we're going to be hearing what the guys. Actually think about the film. Uh, keep it here on Skip Intro, BFM 89.9.
1: Bringing fresh meaning. BFM 89.9.
0: Hello, you are listening to Skip Intro uh, with Lynn Ian and Bahe. Uh, the guys earlier spoke to Gavin Yap, of course, co-writer and co-director of Denam uh, Just about, you know, different things, the process of working with co-director Glenn Goy, how to get a movie made these days, the perils of trying to shoot a period film in modern day Malaysia. If you missed that interview, you can catch it on podcast. Um, you can find us, of course, bfm.my forward slash skip intro on our app, um, on just anywhere you would like to look for us. So, okay, we heard the interview. Hmm. Now let's hear the review. What did what did y'all think? Well, the
3: movie's set in 1965 in Malaysia, and in a small village, Khalid and City are having their wedding day when an ominous lady-shaped figure starts to appear, and things get creepier from there. I went into this movie not sure what to expect, because um, we're close friends with Gavin Yap. I have an, ex- uh, an expectation on his uh, tastes and what I thought I would get out of a Pontianic movie from him. Um, what I got, I was kind of trying to figure out what the film was all the way through it. I, From interviews, Glenn and Gavin themselves have said they were trying to make it in a, a classic Pontianic movie. I don't know what that is.
1: <laughs> what do you only, mean you haven't the seen early, The only the touchstone classic from... movies From the early 60s, 50s, well, That's 70s. the thing Even
3: Gavin himself He's making a movie that's Called Dendam Pontianic And he couldn't get a copy Of the original Dendam Pontianic which, which is no relation in any way It's yeah. just for the 1957 copy It's like he can't get one So my only kind of link is You know Hantu Kek Lima And stuff like that And then I'm expecting a horror But it's not quite a horror I think it was incredibly telling When we interviewed Gavin And he said It's They wanted to make In the Mood for Love In the jungle.
1: Mm, With some Lynchian aspects and elements into it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Sure. There's a lot going on in that description. Yeah, yeah, right. So... (laughs) <laughs> How supernatural is this, I, I suppose? Because I think when we think of Pontianat, um, especially in the local context, there's just so many tropes. There are so many mm. very specific things. Mm. We all grow up hearing Pontiana stories around our version of a campfire. You know, it's just, it's that kind of like whisper network of Pontiana yep. stories, yeah. Pontianak tales. Um, it's just she's so, a bit
3: weird, colour Pontianak kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, just long hair. Yeah. Did she lose mm. a baby at some point? <laughs> it's just, you know, there's just <laughs> yeah. stuff like Sounds that. Right, yeah. um, does this kind of... Itch in that, yeah, you know? I think
1: it follows the. Well, I don't know if that's a true version of the Pontiana tale, but it follows the 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 basic genesis of the idea of the Pantana, right?
3: Like the the type, the card at the beginning says, if a woman dies with yes. child or in childbirth, she can't come back as a vampire. Yes, like it says the word vampire. Yeah. and then like a Pontiana.
1: Yes, so it's it's quite it, in that sense. It does follow that that very historical, cultural thing. Um, and i think it's it's pretty straightforward really from there and i think for me at least that was the kind of disappointment in that as Ian mentioned i know we know gavin uh, i've 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 seen some of his other stuff. He's Gavin's got a quirky sense of humor. He's got a very specific way of looking at life. <laughs> um but and, and I was quite disappointed in how this movie is essentially quite straightforward. It's, it's, very traditional, it's a traditional Tantiani movie. Pontianato. They wanted to
3: make one of those. Yeah. There is some stuff that like there's a certain point around, we talked to Gavin about like casting Rami Ishak and not mm. uh, knowing, not seeing, having seen him in Pulang and uh, also in Rise in Kalila, yeah. where he's just wearing conflicted men who like, he's playing conflicted men who like, the camera lingers on his face while he smokes and thinks about things that you're not too sure, is he a good guy or a yeah. bad guy? Yeah. And that's playing in my head. I'm not 100% sure whose side people should be on. Mm. Um, it's not quite a horror movie, so I'm yeah. not, like, and it, again, Gavin said it's not, it wasn't supposed to be a horror movie, but I expect a horror movie for Pontianak thing. The third act, then, there's a change in what the story is actually about. And once that happened, I actually got a lot more on board of what was going on.
1: Yeah. I think there's also a very... I think in some ways, there's a very playing up of the very traditional idea of what a Pontianak film is, Mm. right? At the beginning, two-thirds of the film, it feels very much... Like what it is—a a, a very fairly traditional, straightforward Pontianak Malaysian Pontianak film—and I think there's that that third act is really when, when he takes his own spin on the Pontianak film, mm. and I think that's where the film really comes out in value. And I think I would have liked to have seen more of that. I'd mm. like to have seen that inter- reinterpretation of this classic Pontianak film done a little sooner in the film. I think. I think at the third act, it's sort of a little too far at the end for me to sort of really change my mind. But mm. I think it's it's a quite an enjoyable film if you like. And again, you're right. This isn't horror. Yeah, it's thriller. I think it's more. Say, when th-
3: he said in the moon for love in the jungle, I was like, oh, yeah. He actually, I talked to him after our interview, and he was like, your faces way I said that was because the two of us were just like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. So And we should say it looks great. I mean, there's one yeah. thing, the, there's a scene we talked about as well with regards to, there's a flashback to 10 years prior to the movie. Toronto, I think it was. So it's like, you yeah. know, it is. It does, it's an old town. It's an old town yeah. and it looks amazing and the jungle looks great. It's just, yeah, I was expecting for a Pontianic movie. I mean, there is blood and gore at certain spots. Um, and, you know, the Lynchian aspects come in whenever Nam runs on screen.
0: Yeah, so I was going to talk about that because um, you mentioned... When you said Lynchian, I was like, hmm, okay. Because that's one of those things where either you buy it or you don't. Yeah. Um, and, and that's true of most surreal cinema, right? Like when, when things take a weird turn, um, you have to have courted the audience to a degree mm. enough mm. Um, for them to go, okay, yeah, yeah, mm. like, fine, I'll go along with this. So um, you've mentioned how there's a there's a moment where I guess the there's a bit of, you know, the movie gets geared up and yeah. then you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. But the surreal elements did you like it did you go along with it did they fit I didn't think that was enough yeah Yeah.
3: Lam Romney turns up and I think it's it's just it has to be in every Malaysian movie that's made at this point I think he just turns up and he's just weird (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and I think and I think him being the one weird one was not enough for that lynchian aspect of yeah. the film, which is what I meant earlier about how I wanted to see more of Gavin's but even, but even in the
3: film he's weirder he's weirder at the beginning than he is all the way through the rest mm. of it, so it kind of comes off doubly weird.
1: Yeah, so he sort of normalizes after a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's an interesting attempt at making what is essentially a very traditional Malay horror, thriller type. Yeah, yeah,
3: and my yeah. usual phrase that I usually get printed on T-shirts is like, I think at this point, I rarely go back now and watch old movies. Mm. I'm always looking for something new and, and, and interesting and yep. different. Yep. And this is a good one of those. Unfortunately. Mm. That's, that, that's what I got from it. I was like, I wasn't... I wasn't scared, but then they weren't intentionally scaring me. I was kind of fascinated, but also I wasn't sure whether I was to, supposed to like or dislike Remy Ishak for mm. quite a long part yeah. of the movie.
1: And I think that's quite an interesting thing to to go in with, right? You're you being conflicted as an audience is kind of part of the journey this movie takes mm. you on, right? This idea that you're not entirely sure you're, who you're supposed to root for, you know, and you're not sure if there is a traditional. Protagonist slash antagonist in yeah. this film, and I and I like that.
0: Well, yeah. So I did want to on that note, um, or rather on that note of what you were saying, Ian. Does this would this report uh, would this reward repeat viewings? Do you think? I mean, if you go in not sure, if mm. you go in not necessarily mm. knowing what to expect, and then you know not necessarily certain what the story is uh, trying to be about, even but it's interesting enough for you to watch yeah. it you know would then a second viewing you think change things considerably
3: yeah it's hard to tell because the ending is very much like it's not what they call you know the classic twist where it's like yeah. completely out of nowhere it's like oh i, I see they make when i said earlier this is a good one of those when it comes to a Pontianic movie it's a good it's also oh this is one of those type of movies if you think about something like the work of Guillermo del Toro mm, just mm, uh, without yeah. giving spoilers i think like it's not a reveal it's not like it's like uh, a big surprise that you get and then don't rewatch later. Mm. But I think it's
1: I think that might be valuable. <laughs> yeah. In rewatching it. I think in the sense that when you know what the ending is, you can sort of almost watch it with a with with new set of focus, right? Mm. Because now you know how it turns out. You're trying to see where the the breadcrumbs are, where you're mm. trying to see where each of the characters make the decisions and why they made the decision because you know what happened. Mm. Because they're holding a secret that whether or not plays out, you don't entirely sure when you first watch it.
3: Yeah. When I want to say when when everything comes together at the end, it really does like everything comes together. The actual music as well. Shout out to the, oh, no. the composer. The music's great. The actually. music is fantastic. Um my girlfriend leaned over to me and once said at, at, near this, at this point where the music was swelling and said, Am I gonna cry at a horror movie? <laughs> there was actually, yeah, there's actually a point where you could you could
1: see yourself crying in that film.
0: So we've been talking today about Dundam Pontiana. Um let us know is you know, our Pontianak films in general, Pontianak stories, kind of something that you enjoy. Um, are you planning to watch this film? Let us know. You can WhatsApp 18 You can tweet us at skipintromy and write to us at movies at bfm.my.